Well, welcome back to our Wednesday night Bible study. I'm Pastor Mark, and uh, we are in 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter, and we are talking or we're reading the story of David and Goliath. Now, what we've seen so far to date is that the Israelites and the Philistines basically have this big standoff. Neither army feels they have the advantage over the other. They are lining up every day and yelling insults at each other and egging each other on. But nobody really attacks anybody. But the only thing that happens is this gigantic guy from the Philistine army named Goliath, who's over nine feet tall with his huge armor and stuff, big yo mama of a guy, comes out and he insults the other army uh, every day and challenges them to this one-on-one battle. Because they basically, neither one of them feel they have the advantage to launch an attack. So they're just, it's a standoff. So this guy said, well, let's, let's work out a deal here. You send out a, a soldier, I'll fight, and whoever wins, then wins the battle. So why, why do we all have to fight? It's kind of a neat idea in theory, but... So you send your guy, and I'll fight him. Whoever wins, that's the end of the deal. Well, that wasn't much of a balanced challenge because this guy's nine feet tall. He's humongous. Nobody feels they can even take a shot at him. So he's got them totally freaked out. And, uh, and this basic standoff goes on. It's going on for 40 days. 40 days running up to the hill. Yeah! And then they go back down, and they'd get up the next day and do the same thing, and nobody would do anything except this gigantic guy coming out and insulting the Israelites. Well, so anyway, David, David's dad sends him to go check on his brother. He's got three older brothers who are at this battle. Not much of a battle at this point because nobody's doing anything. But so he goes and he checks on him and then this Goliath guy comes out and starts yelling as his typical thing every day. And David hears it. And, and he's quite insulted by the whole deal. Because this guy is very insulting. He's insulting God, their God. He's insulting his countrymen, their nation. Uh, And it really ticks off David. And he thinks, well, how come nobody's going to go kill this guy? And then David overhears the guys talking, saying, look, Saul, the king, said whoever goes kills him will get all this great wealth, who gets the girl, his daughter, in marriage. Everybody likes the babe. And then his family will be exempt from taxes for the rest of their lives. Pretty sweet deal. Well, as we saw, David asked again, now, now run that by me again, da-da-da, and then he does it a third time. Okay, now let me get this right. What you're saying is da-da-da. So, I mean, he was motivated by more than just, you know, this guy insulting the nation. He also knew there were some wonderful side benefits to taking on this battle. We talked about this last week. Wow, we need to serve God and honor God just because of who he is and uh, just the fear of heaven and hell should be enough to turn people from their sins. Make no mistake, as you serve God, there are wonderful side benefits, blessings of God in your life. So David wasn't just motivated by the holy righteous attack against this wicked man. He also had this in the back of his head, you know, the money, the babe, and no taxes. Okay, so he goes to Saul and says, I can take this guy. And Saul says, you cannot go take him. We'll pick it up in verse 33 again. He says, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy. We don't know how old he was. Um, all kinds of speculation. 15 at the early 16, maybe 7. I think pretty average guess would be 17 years of age. We don't know. Uh, although some guys at 17, you know, they're pretty strong guys. Now remember, David wasn't that physically uh, 
you know, imposing of a person. When Samuel anointed him as king, um, he wanted to anoint the brothers because they were a lot, you know, bigger looking guys. And then along comes David. Apparently he's a good looking kid, but he's, you know, he's a harp player and he watches the sheep and, you know, but he's no, no imposing guy. So Saul looks at him and says, you're just a kid. Okay. And this guy's been a fighting man since his, since his, since, since, since his youth. He knows how to fight. He's been trained to fight all his life. Clearly, I'm sure he was, he's nine foot tall. Now he had to be a big boy when he was a little, little kid. <laughs> his poor mother, goodness gracious. Can you imagine birth to that thing? So anyway, he says, look it. You can't do this. But David says to him, yes, I can. And he starts to explain to Saul why he believes he can. And he tells him this story. He says, look, your servant. By the way, these guys rarely ever said the word I, particularly to kings and people in authority. That was considered arrogant well, I can do this, and I can. They would always refer to themselves instead of saying I, which again could be insulting in front of these kings and whatever. They would say your servant, meaning themselves. That's how they would refer to themselves. So your servant, in other words, I, was keeping my father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, then he uses the word I. I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. So, he says, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistines will be one like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. So this is what he's saying. He says, look, I know I can take this guy. Because one time, a bear came at me in my And I went and I grabbed this thing and I killed it. Pretty impressive, okay? A bear, alright? Uh, and then, another time, a lion came at the sheep and I grabbed this lion and I killed it I've killed both a bear and a lion God was with me in these smaller scenarios even though it was a pretty big deal bear and a lion he says God helped me do that so I know God will be with me to take on this big gigantic man now it's one thing to attack a bear that's going after some lamb and coming up and grabbing it and killing it or a lion who's coming after some little sheep and grabbing it and killing it. Even that took a lot of guts, without question. It's another thing to be taking on a nine-foot gigantic gargantuan man who is trained in the deadly arts and who's coming specifically at you. And he's coming directly at you to kill you. It's not some side thing with some lamb involved here. It's a different ball game. And plus, this guy is huge. Nine feet. I'm pretty sure the bear wasn't nine feet. I don't think the lion was nine feet. Okay? Now... What's significant about this is the whole principle of growing in your faith. It's important that even though, like right now, some of you guys might be facing something in your life that seems like a nine foot tall giant and it overwhelms you. Some of you are facing huge financial challenges and and you're collapsing under the weight. You, You can't even begin to trust God. Some of you are facing huge physical challenges and sickness, physical sickness or mental sickness in your homes. And it seems like a nine foot gargantuan monster that you can't deal with and you're collapsing. And I know you get discouraged in that stuff. But let me encourage you, don't lose heart. 
and start growing maybe in some smaller areas of faith in your life. Baby steps. You ever see the movie, What About Bob? (laughs) I love this movie. The guy was insane. But he kept saying, baby steps, baby steps. Just because he was afraid of everything in life. And he finally understood, gee, if I just take little steps, uh, I might be insecure enough that I can't take big, bold steps, but if I can just take baby steps, baby steps. And it built his confidence. And then he became more confident. It's a hilarious movie, by the way. He, he drove this guy, his, his psychiatrist, whatever, insane. Very, very funny. But, uh, but he eventually got to a place of confidence because he started out with this idea of going small first. Um, let me encourage you. Start, instead of just trying to all of a sudden from point zero to take on a nine-foot Goliath in your life, start trusting God in little ways. Let him build your faith. Um, Honestly, I, I feel bad for people who all their lives they've never had a chance to experience God in their life and then all of a sudden they're faced with a nine-foot Goliath and they collapse and they try to have faith and it's like they can't. And you know, guys like me will come and try and encourage them to have faith and others around them will encourage them to have faith. And That's what we should do. We should be there to lift you up and pray for you and trust God with you. Uh, through, but I always feel bad for those people. I feel bad for people who've never had to experience God in their life until boom a big thing pops up that's always sad to me now I've had lots of challenges in my life over the last 30 40 years of serving Jesus you know little things that you know maybe a lot of people haven't had to deal with but I cherish those things because it built my faith so that when something big comes I don't just collapse like a deck of cards and freak out Why? Because I've slain the lion and the bear in my life in the past. And I have some confidence because God has done something in my life. Something you want to encourage in your children. Trust God. Trust God for some miracles. If there's nothing bad in your life going on right now, don't just wait for something bad to happen. Trust God even for the little challenges in your life. Do the baby steps. You know, it's it's the idea of lifting weights. You know, as you can tell, I do not do that. But, you know... You don't just reach over and grab 500 pounds and start yakking on it. Man, you're going to bust your back and strain every muscle in your body. You start out with little weights. And you add a little bit more weight to it. And add a little little bit more weight to it. And you keep adding the resistance as your body adapts and your muscles strengthen. Pretty soon you're able to lift all kinds of weight. Why? Guys who lift huge amounts of weight, some of the strong guys in this congregation, some of the football players and stuff, man, they didn't just walk in and start picking up 100 pounds and whipping around when they were 10 years old. They started small and built up to these things. That's how you get strong. The same is true in faith. Build your faith. Start in little ways. And again, I'm so grateful uh, that God gave me enough challenges in my see a lot of times people even they'll get little challenges and you get mad little challenges come along and, and you're irritated and you're man you know I couldn't pay this bill how come I couldn't pay this bill I prayed to God I don't understand why I didn't have this bill or you know I stubbed my toe and that toe really hurt and I, I don't understand why that happened to me and all of these different things and you just get mad at circumstances instead of looking at hey here's an opportunity for me to trust God Here's an opportunity for me to pray and experience God in my life. Why would you want to do that? So you can build your faith. So you can get some strength going in your life. So that when the doctor says, hey, by the way, you've got cancer. you got a year and a half to live. Boom. 
You are now in a place of faith that this is not your first time to tackle something. Now it might be a nine foot Goliath. Why do some people look at cancer and completely collapse in fear? And why do others who look at it and they've got a positive attitude and they're trusting God? Why? Because the one has killed the lion and the bear. And the other ones haven't. They haven't done anything. They've never really had to experience any conflict. And instead of trusting God in little areas of the life, they whine, they bellyache, they gripe, they complain, they get through life, they make it through. Their trust is in their doctors, their trust is in their bankers, their trust, trust is in their insurance plans, their trust and everything else. And then, and then all of a sudden, now they've got to trust something where none of that will do anything for them. And they can't do it. Those are the people I feel the sorriest for. These are the people, by the world standards, are the most blessed. They've never had really hard times in their life. Everything's been well thought out. They've always had enough money. They've always planned. Everything's been good. They've always been smart enough to... Da, da, da. Everything's been planned out. You know, some of you guys are a little perfectionists. You plan everything out in your life. And you've been planned, you know, from the time you were two years old. Everything's been planned. And your school was planned. And you went to college and all that was planned. And you got married at exactly... 28.7 years of your life and everything is, you know, you got 2.3 children I don't know how you get the point three, but you got all this stuff and everything's all planned out in your life these are the people the world goes wow, what fabulous people, they just constantly go up and they got the next promotion and the next promotion, oh these are the enviable ones in life the American dream to me these are not the enviable people when I see people like that I kid you not, and I've done this all my life as a Christian when I see people like that, I always feel sorry for them. Do you know why? I think these are people who have never killed the lion and the bear in their life. They have never had to experience God. I mean, they might even have faith. They might have been Christians the whole time. But they've never been challenged. Everything has gone according to plan. Everything's been perfect. They haven't had to trust God for anything. Anything goes wrong, they've got something all set up to deal with that eventuality. They're great planners. And I'm not saying you shouldn't plan. But man, don't live your life in such a way you never have to trust God. And that's what they do. And then, these are the people, all of a sudden they lose their jobs. They freak and they panic. And they collapse. Why? They've never had to trust God before. They don't even know how to do it. These are the people the doctor says, look, you might only have a year and a half to live. They freak and they panic. They have no faith. They collapse like a deck of cards. Why? They've never had to experience God in their lives. These are the people that I have, my heart goes out for the most. The ones that I celebrate with are the ones who've struggled in life and they had against tough odds they trusted God and they prayed and they experienced God and they didn't have they didn't know what they were going to do for, for this bill but somehow they prayed and trusted God and they got an answer to prayer miraculously God provided for these needs and these are the people who maybe didn't have health insurance but they got sicker than a dog you know with the flu and they prayed and they trusted and all of a sudden the flu went away and they got healed and God touched them little things little tiny things why they're out there killing the lion and the bear in their lives and then when the bigger challenges in life come Boom! They actually light up. And they say, I can trust God in this situation. I know it's a nine foot behemoth who stinks. And he's just a big ugly monster. But I can trust God because I've killed the lion and the bear in my life. 
Now, if you're already there and you're killing the lion and the bear and it seems to be overwhelming you, man, let other people pray with you. Let other people hold you up and stuff. But even still, in the midst of your struggle, at some point, start experiencing God in the little ways. You know, man, again, I always feel so sad for people who they're just, they face Goliath, but they've never had smaller challenges for miracles in their life ahead of time. That's always the toughest. Man, trust God in the little things. The smallest of things. I remember when I first became a Christian. And I started going to this church. And, and the pastor was you know, teaching us that God will actually answer your prayers. And he wants to heal you. He doesn't want you to be sick. I remember 16 years of age. I, I had a cold or something. I don't know what it was. But I kept sneezing my little brains. I was miserable. And I remember getting down and praying. Because you know. You know. At that time, I knew you could only pray if you were on your knees with your hands like this, you know. That's what I had learned. Now, it's not really true, but that's what I was doing because that's all I knew as a young boy. So I got down, I prayed. And I started praying and touching. And I'll never forget it. I felt, I, I kind of reached out my hands like this. And it felt like somebody touched my hands. And, and I, you know, again, I didn't know anything about anything. I just felt, and I, I, I kind of looked up, but there was nothing there. I thought, well, that was weird. I, you know, I, I couldn't even explain it. All I knew was about two minutes later, dawns on me, I wasn't sneezing anymore. Now, that's a small deal. It's not a big miracle. It's not cancer. It's not opening the Red Sea. It's not killing some nine-foot Goliath. It's just all of a sudden, I felt something touch me, and now I'm done sneezing. Well, that little tiny lion, that little bear in my life went, whoa, whoa, that... It started building my faith. It helped me start to experiencing and trusting God. About a year and a half later, we uh, were in this church. And uh, we, had, we were, um, you know, I used to be in rock bands and stuff like that as a young kid. And when I got saved, we decided to do a Christian rock band. And we had gotten our equipment and stuff when we were rehearsing in this church building. And we had this really cool PA system, you know, that we had just... But it looked really cool. You know, back in the, you know, 71 or whatever it was, 70. And it, it looked so cool. You know, they were like, it was called the custom systems. You guys, any of you old rockers out there, remember these amps that had kind of like these, this, this padded look about it all. They were, they, the, the brand name was custom. I had this big custom PA system with this big brain of a head, and, you know, uh, columns and stuff and all this. Man, it was, it was, Wow. Something, just one of those blessings of God. Anyway, we came in the next morning to rehearse, and it had been stolen. Someone had broken into the church and stolen everything. My big, cool, custom PA system was gone. Oh, man! I mean, so, you know, what do you do? Well, kind of freaks you out at first, and you don't know what else you can do. We didn't have anything else to trust in. We didn't just call our insurance. And again, I'm not slamming insurance, but there's a side of this that kind of makes you sad because people start leaning on other stuff instead of being able to trust God. We had nothing to do, you know? So we prayed. And I remember we all got down together and we prayed. And we said, Lord, we pray that whoever did this will bring it back. You know, we're just crying out to God. You know, not crying, crying, but just calling out to God, trusting God that we'd be able to recover this thing. We didn't know. We're just... The next night... Somebody broke back into the church to put it all back. I kid you not. We came in the next day. It was all there again. The church had been broken into again. 
But whoever it was felt bad enough that they actually broke back into the church and put the stuff back. You say, well, that's just a coincidence. I don't know why. To me, it was an answer to prayer. It was another lion and a bear in my life. I could go on for hours telling you of the story. Some of you heard some of my crazy and wild stories of God doing cool, neat things in my life. In some of the weirdest circumstances. I've I've had so many miracles in my life because I'm an idiot. I'm a moron. I do stupid stuff and I get myself in trouble. And I get this horrible situation. And then I got to cry out to God. And God has been so wonderful in turning these situations around in our lives. What does that do? It keeps Building your faith. Building your faith. Then the doctor says your wife has cancer. What keeps you from collapsing on the ground and giving up at that point? Because here comes this nine foot Goliath in your life. What do you do? Well, if you've never had Jesus so much as heal a sniffle in your nose. If you've never prayed and seen God turn a circumstance around. If you've never been in a situation where you're able to experience an answer to prayer. How do you take on a nine-foot Goliath at that point in your life? I thank God for all the times that he helped Deb and I through little struggles and situations in our life, everything going wrong, finances going wrong, little things that just help build confidence in our hearts. I've told you the story about the time we were living in Marshville 15 years ago. We were broke, man. We were so broke we had to look up to see poor. I mean, it was horrible. We, had a, we were in a situation where we had to come up with $400 for, for this uh, rent, for this building that we were going into. We had no idea where we were getting the money from. My wife was just praising God through the whole thing. I was freaking out. I was getting mad at her because she wasn't freaking out. You know, it's like, what the heck? You know, but we were trusting God through the thing. I remember the day we are moving into the place. Some guy walks up to me and he wants to hire me to do something. And he says, well, I should pay you in advance. Nobody pays you in advance, you know, for the kind of work I was doing, recording studios and stuff. He said, well, let me give you something to show I'm serious. And he whips out four $100 bills. And he gets in his car and he drives away. That's a lion and a bear, Jack. I'm like, wow, that is so cool. I went to the landlord and said, here. He says, are you always paying cash? I said, not usually. You know, I mean, I had no money. But God, at the last minute, stepped in. what does that do that builds your faith? You start experiencing God. Now, I could have gotten mad, you know, God, how can you let this happen to me? Where's the money? I don't know. Why isn't God answering my prayers? And just struggle through, never really experience God, looking at the small opportunities for faith, and instead of jumping into them, despising them. See, that's what a lot of people do. They get these opportunities for faith, and they get mad. They get mad at God. Why are you letting this happen to me? What? Oh, for crying out loud, people. Stop that. You get these opportunities, these little things. These are opportunities to experience God in your life. Everybody wants a miracle. And then everybody gets mad when they need a miracle. For crying out loud. You only get a miracle when you need one. Don't get mad at God. Don't get freaked out when you have these opportunities, man. It's an opportunity for faith. And then when the nine-foot Goliaths come into your life. You don't collapse. The armies around you might be collapsing. Everybody on your team might be collapsing. But you step forward and say, I can do this. Why? Because God will be with me. How do you know that? Because he was with me here, and he was with me here, and he was with me with the lion and the bear. And just like he was with me with the lion and the bear, I can take this big, fat, gigantic, nine-foot monster in my life. That's how you get to a place of miracles. And that's what happened in David's life. 
Pretty cool. So he says in verse 37, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. (laughs) Well, Saul, he's pretty blown away. This is one confident young punk. And he says, go, and the Lord be with you. He had nobody else, no other takers. Saul wasn't going to do that. I ain't going out there. I'm having a hard time. I got spirits tormenting me. I got no confidence in God anymore. He's so backslidden, far away from God. He's not going to take it. Nobody else in his army wants to take him. Nobody wants to take it on. This young guy wants to do it. He says, okay, go for it. Then this next verse, very, very interesting. He says, then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. And David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around. But because he was not used to them. So, so here's the scenario. He puts on the armor of a warrior. Because this is how you fight. This is how you do it. Now remember, he's never done it. He doesn't know anything about this kind of fighting. He's a young guy. He's never been trained. So he's walking around in this armor and he can can barely walk. Now, great analogy in here. Sometimes God will call people and as soon as he's called them, then those of us who've been around for a while will often try to put our armor on you. You know, you've got to do it this way. Unless you look this way or pretend this way or act this way, you can't possibly succeed. I know I certainly face that in my life. You know, uh, as you all know, I'm a pretty late bloomer in my life as far as God using me all my life. Even though I had this call of God in my heart, God had called me, I feel, when I was 16 years of age. I didn't really get my first chance to really pastor until I was about 46 or 47 years of age. I mean, that's a long haul between 16 and 47, okay? None of that seemed to happen. And whenever I would try to do what I wanted to do or serve God in the way I wanted to or minister to God's people the way I wanted to, I got nothing but criticized because I didn't fit in to their armor. I didn't fit into their standard helmets. I didn't fit, you know, come on, clearly, I'm a a strange, weird guy. I don't know why y'all come to church, but you do. God bless you. But I'm not your typical pastor, you know, I haven't had the appropriate, you know, theological training. And, and I, I haven't learned that you can't make jokes in the pulpit. That's very inappropriate, you know, and all this other kind of stuff. Well, it's inappropriate for them, whatever. It works for them, but it didn't work for me. Every time I would try to fit into that mold, I couldn't walk around. It's like David trying to trying to wear the armor. So here's David trying to... So finally, uh, he, he says... I I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Which, to Saul and all the guys fighting, the worst thing you can do. You have to do it this way. Everybody does it this way. Everybody's done it this way. Oh my goodness gracious, you can't proceed this way. You know, I mean, again, story of my life, you know, and I'm, I'm not advocating just ignoring proper ways of doing things. I might even challenge you to do things in a certain way. But at the end of the day, for some people, they just it just doesn't fit for them. You know, I know when I first started doing marriage seminars and stuff, you know, I started doing everything wrong. 
you know, you ever been to a marriage seminar? You know, you get these workbooks to fill out and emotional breakout sessions. And you separate the girls, the men and the women when you talk about sex and different, you know, like they're in junior high school. I hate all that stupid. These are adults for crying out loud. So I come along, I'm keeping everybody together and talking about sex. And I'm talking about whatever. And I'm making people laugh and trying to put things in a way that people can relate to and in memorable ways. And there's no notes to take. Everything I do, if you compare it to anybody else who does marriage seminars, what I'm doing is wrong. Okay? But it works for me. It probably wouldn't work for them. I get that. My way of fighting the Goliaths won't work for other people. But other people certainly uh, did not work for me. So anyway, this guy, this young man, he goes for, first of all, he's, he's taking on an overwhelming challenge in the first place. And they finally give him the green light, and now they're mortified because he's not doing it the right way. He refuses to put on the armor. He won't take the sword. He's not doing all this stuff. He just goes out there like he came up from watching the sheep. So he took his staff in his hand. Why his staff? He was comfortable with the staff. Swati knew. He was good at it. So well, I don't know. He hasn't been to, you know, 17 years of theological seminary. I don't know. He doesn't have the proper training. I don't know how he could possibly do it. Not that those things are bad. It's just it wasn't working for him. He grabbed his staff. The one thing he was comfortable with, using those sheep. He used it probably to smack them upside the head. Hey, sheep! Then he took five smooth stones from the stream and put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. Why? It was for his sling. With his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. He took what he had. He grabbed what he knew. He took the gifts that God given him. Again, for everybody else, it seemed weird. For everybody else, it seemed strange. You don't do it this way. But... He couldn't do it the other way. He tried. It just, it didn't, it made it harder for him to move. So he went, and just like he came up from the farm, dressed just like that, took the staff, went and got five smooth stones, put them in his bag with a sling, and he headed out for the Philistines. You got to hand it to this kid. He had some serious cojones. I mean, he wasn't kidding around. This wasn't just a basketball game, you know, or something. That He's going to get killed. If this does not go well, dead. All right? This is serious stuff. So this guy takes his, his staff, some rocks, and his slings, and he starts walking to the Philistine. Well, meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. All he sees from the distance is this guy coming. The Philistine's probably going, well, finally! Finally, someone's got some guts. Now we're going to have us a good old-fashioned battle. Well, he starts walking to David. Well, he looks David over when he gets closer to him and sees that he's only a boy, ruddy and handsome, nice-looking little kid, but he's just a little punk guy, especially from this nine-foot Goliath's perspective. And he despises him, and it ticks him off. So now he's really insulted, okay? He comes to all right. A man, we go have us a man battle. I'm a man. Send me a real man. Gets out and he gets closer and he sees this, this young kid. And it just ticks him off. So he's totally torqued. And he says, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? Why? Because he's just there with the little shepherd's staff. 
And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Just starts reaming the kid out. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. So here this gigantic guy is getting angry and cursing at him. So now his adrenaline, his anger has just spiked bad, okay? If you're going to fight a nine-foot guy, you want him as calm as he can possibly be. You know, if you can get him medicated, you know, ahead of time, that would even be better, you know. You don't want him motivated and ticked off. But here he is now. He's really torqued. And then Phyllis, David says to him, look, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> so, you know, swords, one thing, spears, another javelin. He's got all three. And he knew how to use them. He said, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord says, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Wow! Now where does that come from? Now remember, Saul, or not Saul, Samuel had anointed David ahead of time. Now David probably didn't even understand what that was. Didn't even know what he's talking about. What he, you know, I don't even know what's going on. But from that time, the Spirit of the Lord is with him. Well, now this kid, who initially is just ticked off because of this big guy yelling at him and motivated by the money, the girl, and the no taxes. Now he's stepping forward, and now the Spirit of God falls on this kid. And now he is prophesying that I am going to kill you. I'm going to cut off your head. I'm going to take your body and feed it to the birds of the air. I mean, this Philistine got horked, and he's mad. Well, now this holy, righteous anger falls on David. And he starts prophesying with all the confidence in the world. I am going to rip your head off. Well, technically, cut it off. Either way, the head's coming off. Well, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him. (laughs) I love this. So the Philistine's moving in. Well, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Again, serious cojones this kid's got. Well, now the spirit of God's on him. Instead of, you know, slowly you know, trying to look for a physician. This kid just runs at him. Wow. I, I hope there's instant replay in heaven because I really want to see this. This would be very cool. Gigantic heavenly DVRs I'm hoping for. Okay, now, so he runs to him. He reaches into his bag, taking out one of the stones. He had five smooth stones, grabs one of them, and he puts it in the sling. And he's running at this gigantic... I mean, this kid is so confident. He's so powerful. The Spirit of God is on him. There is nothing. There is no fear in this boy at this point. And all of the army of Israel is looking, thinking... (laughs) they got to be mortified. This kid's going to get killed. He has no armor. He has no sword. And he's just running straight into the arms of this huge warrior. And he's just (laughs) flipping around the sling and goes zing. And that rock comes out of that thing a gazillion miles an hour and smacks Goliath 
right on the forehead. He slung it, the Bible says, and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead. I mean, this thing had some serious velocity to it. Zing! The thing actually penetrated into this gigantic skull of this huge man, and it knocks him out. The guy just stops and falls face down on the ground. Now, (laughs) again, oh my gosh, what an encounter. So here you're sitting there, all the Israelites are freaking out. And all the Philistines are like, yay, because they can't wait for Goliath to rip this guy to shreds. This guy's running, and it's like, does anybody even see what happens? I mean, he just goes, zing. It's like they, they really saw anything. All they know is all of a sudden, Goliath stops. And he flops over face down. Well, the Philistines had to go, ah! And the Israelites had to go nuts. You talk about the three-pointer at the buzzer. Zing! Swish! The game is over. I mean, these guys had to go absolutely crazy. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran over and stood over him, took hold of the Philistine's sword, drew it from the scabbard, and after he killed him, so I must have stabbed him with it, then he cuts off his head with the sword and must have held up the head. So when the Philistines saw this, They turned and ran. They freaked. And the men of Israel, after this incredible three-pointer shot, went nuts. And they shouted. And they pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath, which is, by the way, the hometown of Goliath, and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Sarium road uh, to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites, Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp, took everything, because he's got obviously all their supplies and wealth and everything that they had with him. There was no time to pack up, man. They, they got out of Dodge. And as they're running, the Israelites are slicing them up in bits and pieces and killing them. And there's dead Philistines all along the road as these guys are running in panic and retreat. Uh, David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem. And he put the Philistines' weapon, the Philistines' weapon, uh, Goliath's weapon, uh, weapons in his own tent. As Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistine, he said to Abner, commander of the army, Abner, whose kid is that? Now again, why I believe the previous little section is just out of order because it says that he was in Saul's service. Well, clearly at this point, he wasn't. I really think this belongs just right after this because you will see in a minute it talks about David playing the harp for him when he's being tormented. Again. It's inconsequential. It doesn't mean anything. Don't let people freak out. Oh, Bible full of contradiction. You know, these little tiny things. They don't mean anything. And there's all kinds of plausible explanations why these things were. Bottom line, it doesn't mean anything. So anyway, so uh, Saul has seen this kid when he's going. I said, who is this kid? And uh, who's his dad? And Abner says, as surely as you live, king, I do not know. I don't know. Because, I mean, this king, he's looking. Man, this guy's got some cojones. Who, who does he belong to? Well, the king said, find out whose son this young man is. Uh, and as soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him, brought him before Saul, with David still holding the Philistine's head, which had to be 
seriously gross. But he's still just hanging onto the head. You can imagine this this kid. I mean, I, you know, a kid. I mean, he's, he's a young man at this point. We don't know how old he is. You know, I've heard some guys say possibly 17. I, I don't know. I mean, 17, that's, that's still a young man. You know, you could... A lot of guys fighting in wars at 17. Was he younger? Was he 15? Who knows how old this guy was? All, all he knows is he just pulled up the upset of the century. And he probably come back. He's grinning from ear to ear. Holding this big fat head. You know, talking to Saul. Oh, my goodness gracious. So David comes up still holding the Philistine's head in his hand. And Saul says, whose son are you? young man and Jesse said I am the son of your servant Jesse of Bethlehem wow wow I mean this is this is some cool stuff alright so anyway uh, next week we'll pick it up uh, at chapter 18 and we are going to see what impact all of this has on Saul obviously Saul has issues the spirit of God has left him and uh, if anything, the Spirit of God is tormenting him now. Uh, a, you know, something, an angel, whatever uh, from God is tormenting this guy. He's miserable. He's uh, in bad shape. Who do you think the people are crazy about now? <laughs> I mean, come on. You think Saul? You know, you think kids in Israel are putting up posters of Saul in their bedrooms, man, there's David posters everywhere, they didn't have posters, but you know, they're idolizing this guy, David, he the man, they are thrilled, and they are singing the praises of David, well this just irks Saul, who becomes jealous, and hatred fills his heart for David, and then Saul sets out to try and kill him, and basically makes David's life a living hell. A lot of the scriptures that you will read in the Psalms where you hear, uh, you know, uh, the psalmist crying out, you know, oh God, out of my misery I cry out to you. Hear me, O the Lord, and deliver me from my enemies. And, and he's crying out and he's, this horrible thing and his heart is just bleeding and, and, and crying out to God for deliverance was written during this time that Saul was trying to kill him. And made his life miserable. So here, God anoints him. He's going to become this great king. He kills David, or kills Goliath. And, and now, things go horribly wrong. And now he's absolutely miserable. Again, another time of trying, trials, testings in his life. Just another version of bears and lions in his life. That helped build him into what eventually does make him an incredible king. There's times of, of great fear that we're going to read about. There's times of incredible humiliation that we will read about. Shocking stuff. Um, I mean, his life is just in the toilet. But again, what is happening here? God is building character in him. You see, every lion and bear in your not life isn't a literal lion and a bear. And God is building character in David's heart. And in his life during this time of great trial and trouble, what does it do? It makes him stronger. By the time David becomes king, he is quite the king. And, uh, and God's anointing rests heavily on him. So we will pick that up next week when we pick it up 
at chapter 18. See you then.